Hello and welcome to episode 140 of Regular Features. I'm John Blythe, but you can call me Sugar Daddy Pepperdine. The Regular Features team have been separated beyond any reasonable attempt to meet this week, so we were left with two choices. The first choice was to not do a podcast, but after taking legal advice, this turned out to be against the Human Rights Acts as a display of intolerable cruelty. Or we could do a podcast, maybe a day late, who knows, and build it from individually crafted sound files, hand-hewn into the most pleasurable shape for your ears, and with a string at the end so you can safely pull it out when you're finished. So pop in your snorkels and wade ever inwards to this, the very first, nay, inaugural, regular features monosode. It's a monosode. I said a monosode. What's a monosode? Well, nobody knows. I'm here alone in the regular features monosode HQ. In front of me are four rubber statues of the regular features team. Gav is on all fours, Matt's bending over, pulling his butt cheeks apart. My statue's just standing there, hand outstretched, with an air of professionalism and dignity. And Steve has been caught cross-eyed and mid-helicopter, with his dick at half-past five, and both balls splayed crazily like a dog on a trampoline. I have to activate the statues to summon the features. But how? How do I activate a statue of Gav on all fours, his bumhole pointing straight at me? Perhaps if I just reach around here, just cup these, and maybe if I just... Oh, fuck! So because of my recent relationship adjustment, I've decided to fill the gaping void in my soul with a string of dalliances with women I've met on the internet. Namely, on an app that's called OkCupid, which is genuinely really, really good. I haven't really had any horrible experiences yet, I'm sure that will come. But after meeting a bunch of ladies and it going well, like, they've started telling me some of the horror stories they've had from online dating, proving again and again that men cannot be trusted with nice things. Oh, what's that? You've created an app that will put me in touch with members of the opposite sex who are up for meeting new guys. And with a little bit of basic chivalry, I could meet the woman of my dreams. Oh, that's, that sounds really good. What I'll probably do, though, right, is use the app to be complete and add a fucking creep. Is that right? Yeah? Is that what you sort of had in mind? So yeah, pretty much every girl I've met has some proper horror stories. And actually, some of the guys that I know have had some really, really shit first dates. So what I did was I reached out to our most important readers. That's the ones that bung us money every episode. And here are some of the first date stories that they sent in. So this first one then is from Rhea Jenkins, who says... The only person to actually ask me out on a date was a guy who was a regular at the metal bar slash club I worked in called Dungeon. (laughs) That's the real fucking name of the place. This guy was your typical nice guy. Kind of shy, kind of boring, and with eyes like at any point he could start playing the Mr. Blobby song from his phone whilst pulling raw turnips out of his pants and insisting that you just take a bite. Anyway, I'd served him a pint and we were chatting about general stuff. He was giving me the usual questions. Are you a student? What do you want to do when you leave uni? Etc, etc. And I mentioned that I'd maybe like to be a writer. He then started talking about how he wrote poetry and wanted to try to get his writing published and I started to switch off, giving the occasional mm and ah right to make it seem like I was interested when I was really trying to work out how much vodka needed bringing up from the cellar. Out of nowhere, I just heard him say, killing a swan. I was like, what? And he just replied, yeah, with the biggest, most excited grin on his face, like he just told me the answer to world peace, and I have absolutely no idea what kind of story resolves with killing a swan, but he seemingly wrote one. He obviously thought this conversation went so well that he should ask me out, and when I walked past his table later, one of the women who joined him asked me over and pointed at the guy who said, um, would you like to go out for some dinner sometime? 
I replied, for dinner? Like I couldn't even understand the concept of what dinner was. Yeah, or drinks or something. And all I could think about was a bloody swan and whether he was some hidden genius and or creep who had written a manifesto for mass regicide or just had a thing for killing swans. I, um, I'm not actually single, I'm sorry, replied Rhea. And that was the end of that. It's not actually that bad, though, to be honest, but they do get worse. So Nicholas from Sweden says, My first date was a blind one, meaning it was a blind date, not he was going on a date with a blind girl. We'd scheduled a dinner date at a fairly nice restaurant, not overly expensive, but more than enough to strain my already tight student budget. Now, the thing that I don't get is why people are organizing first dates to go out on dinner. Don't go out for dinner for people, because what if you don't like them? Then you've got to sit and eat a fucking pulled pork burger or something like that. No, ask them for a drink. If you like them, then you can go out for dinner another time. Like, d- dinner for the first date, that, I mean, that's not for me. We exchanged descriptions on the phone to know each other on site. I got to the restaurant first, made sure there was no trouble with the table. I don't know what trouble are you expecting <laughs> make sure there's no trouble with the table i booked or anything like that all right <laughs> what the fuck gotta be proactive about these things have you have you really nicholas from sweden about 10 minutes later she came around the corner and stopped dead she saw me i saw her a connection happened then she pirouetted on the spot and walked back around the corner she had come from the look on her face made it abundantly clear that she wanted nothing to do with me After a mild session of self-loathing mixed with indignant anger, I decided to make the best of a bad situation. I called my gran who lived a few blocks away and asked if she had any plans. She didn't. We had a lovely dinner and I went to her apartment and played cards until the hour got late. Oh, Nicholas, that's fucking horrible. Alright, here's one from Eddie then. Hi Gav, just a short one from me. I once went on a first date in which myself and the girl went for a meal at ZZ's. Fuck off, I was young and poor. As a waitress came to take our drinks order, I realised I recognised her. Yep, I had been on a first date with a waitress only a week before. Yeah, alright, Eddie, you go on dates, so what, man? It hadn't gone well, nothing too dramatic. I just didn't really like her that much, and I chose to ignore her follow-up text after the date. Well, that's a really prick thing to do, because there's nothing wrong with just saying, uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to work out, or no, I don't think there was a connection. Nothing wrong with that, Eddie. Be a fucking man about it. Okay, I was a bit of a penis in fairness. All right, I hadn't read that bit. Sorry, Ed. And now she was waitressing my new date and I for the rest of the night. It was awkward as fuck. Looking back, I realized she probably pissed in my carbonara. Ta, Eddie. The best thing that I've just realized after reading that out, Eddie, is I've asked all the readers to send in all their different stories. What I could have done was just named a reader and then just made bits up from it. So I think that's what I'll do next time. Just make shit up. So here's a bunch then from Monica who says, Hi Gav, I wish I'd known sooner about the multi-dates thing with you during that live show, because that would have been the best thing ever compared to the speed dating event I went to a month ago. Guy number one, he had his hand in his mouth for the entire four minutes searching for the dead cow between his teeth. Guy number two was already <laughs> was already really drunk and said the following sentence, Here's a fatherly advice from me, sweetie, invest in a boob job. What a prick. Guy number three, did not say anything apart from hi, I didn't say anything as well to see who would crack first. <laughs> We were both silent for the entire four minutes. <laughs> Monica, I don't think you're really getting in the spirit of these dates, to be honest. Just sitting there, seeing who would crack first. Guy number four gave too much details too quickly about his Naruto, f- about his Naruto fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, you're onto a loser there, buddy. And guy number five ended the four-minute mark with the words, uh, I'm not being funny, but you're a bit too old for me. I'm 24. He said he was 37. <laughs> 
At the end of the event, I was in a hurry to get the fuck out of there, but the event organizer stopped me to give me his phone number in case I ever wanted to get drinks with him. This makes me think that the event organizer finds the worst guys in po- <laughs> finds the worst guys on purpose in order to score with the crestfallen women afterwards. Love Monica. That's awesome. <laughs> Alright, and this is my favorite one from Richard, who says, Mention my surname and I'll send the Welsh mafia after you, Murphy. Thanks. We went for burritos. I'd never eaten burritos before, and what I didn't realize was that there's definitely a wrong way to do it. There's planning involved. Towards the end of the burrito, I felt something slip in the structure of my meal. It became clear that the burrito was going to slither into an unwrapped state imminently, that the tin foil it was wrapped in wasn't going to stop it, and I had a choice. I could either watch my tasty treat of cheesy beef flop onto the floor, or I could eat it. All of it. Right now. (laughs) (gasps) Fucking love this. I didn't regret my decision, but I did have enough of a vague sense of dignity to vocalize a muffled to my day as I fished tinfoil out of my packed and leaking gob and used the other hand to wipe a stray fleck of beef that was oozing down my beard. To compound the awkwardness, it must have been a full minute and a half of silent heavy breathing through my nose before I could clear my mouth enough to more thoroughly apologize and explain. I don't know if she agreed with my choice, but I think she respected it. Thing is, there was actually a second date, and a third, and I think a fourth. No matter how disappointed you are, sometimes a lady with a pout of myling class will be in a dry spell longer than your own. Or possibly have a fetish about fat, scruffy men suddenly and inexplicably fisting an entire burrito into their already stuffed and dripping maw. I never quite ruled that one out. <laughs> Obviously, they will eventually recognize you for the degraded facsimile of a working human that you are, and abandon you to your lonely death at some point around about the fifth date. I mean, it's not fucking Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Richard. And thanks, everyone, for sending those in. I think, like, except for Richard, I think the one consistent thing from all the dates is that in pretty much every instant, it's the guy fucking up. Like, just being rude or being weird or just saying something strange. And at first, I sort of kind of despaired by that. And I think, oh, you know, I have to apologize for men everywhere. But actually, if that means that just by maintaining basic politeness, making a girl laugh now and again, and buying them a drink on a date, that I can stand head and shoulder above some of these fucking idiots. To be honest, I hope they carry on as they are. I could have a go on this statue of Gav all night. It's really roomy in all the right places. Anyway, for some reason, Gav's feature has transported me and Matt's statue into the Parisian underground, or Metro. That means I've got to go through the process of activating him in public, and we're already gathering a crowd because it's not often you see a rubber statue of a man pulling his butt cheeks apart materialise in front of an accordion player. Hmm, perhaps they can help. Madame, Monsieur, pouvez-vous m'aider à attaquer sexuellement cette statue jusqu'à ce qu'il commence à parler? Merci. Oh la la! Oh, bon! Mes pantalons sont trempés! Meanwhile, many miles away, in Buckingham Palace, Matt was looking for a different kind of Zord. Oh, hello there! Uh, my name's Matt Lees from the Regular Features Podcast. You, no doubt, will have heard of me. Oh, of course, you're one of those, um, those men with the funny hats who can't do anything. Right, well, I'm just going to pop in and uh, see the Queen, if that's all right. Yeah? Wicked. Upon entering the great Buckingham Palace, the great silver gate spilled open as if by magic and it 
were magic because the queen was made of sorcery, said the magical gate. Sorry, I don't have to speak like that. I just choose to because it winds people up. But Matt didn't have time to listen to gates. He could see a sprawling mess ahead of him in the great ham palace. The queen was running in circles, ridding herself of the stress from a prior meeting with Mr. Danny Dial. I bet you know call these corgis. You should call them corgaser, as in like corgaser. Hey, you like you think that UFOs are real? I think UFOs are real. One does not think that UFOs are real, and one thinks that you are a fucking piece of. The meeting continued for many hours before the Duke of Edinburgh entered with a statement. This pig looks like he's been made by fucking Indians. And by that I mean badly, because Indians are a useless breed of people. Also, other racist things. Just imagine I've said them. But that was many hours ago, and the Queen continued to chase her corgis. Come hither, come hither, she screamed, chasing them lovingly with an antique elephant gun. But clocking her eyes on a sexy new prize, she turned, squaring the gun at Mr. Matt Lees. Oh, crikey, ma'am. I don't mean to alarm. I'm just here looking for a very special zord. A zord, you say? She said. Yes, madam. A zord. You see, I and the other regular features crew have been split across this land, across various locations, across a map, across time, potentially. Basically, Steve is in Russia, and we couldn't all meet up because Log has a problem with his arse. So we each came to try and find the zord, the power zord, the thing that would bring us together. It's a thing from Power Rangers. Have you seen Power Rangers? No. Right. Well, can I have a look in the dungeon beneath Buckingham Palace, please? Of course you can, you sexy monkey. Unperturbed by the fact that the Queen's voice kept changing, Matt continued down the stairs, down the circular stairs, then down the normal stairs, then some more circular stairs, then some of those stairs that are sort of circular but not quite, the ones you get in in kind of fancy apartments, and then some normal stairs, until he reached the great stone doors that protected the ancient secrets of the Buckingham Palace. Ah, this must be where they keep the ancient secrets of the Buckingham Palace, said Matt. Yes, it is, said the door. Oh, a talking door. I've seen one of those before, said Matt, rhyming, as if that might somehow please the door. That's not a door, that's a gate, you prick. Yes, well, do you have a zord behind this door, but by any chance, Mr. Door? Matt tried to catch himself from his mistake, but it was too late. After infuriating the door by rhyming, Matt had then decided to rhyme the word door with the word door.
This continued for several hours, until eventually Philip came down to find out what all the racket was about. You're not naturally looking for a sword, are you? said Philip. And we don't have any swords out here. This is basically just a, a big cave full of dossiers about how we uh, murdered Diana and uh, about how Harry is definitely uh, not. Who are you again? And with that, the royal family had Matt killed. Thanks for that, Matt. The unique resonances of your feature have transported me back to the lab, so I won't have to read anything else from Google Translate or look for another ambient sound effect. So, I've put Steve's statue in the shower so it's clean and ready for the gruelling and noisy process of activation that I've got planned for it. So there's nothing left for it but to activate my statue. Luckily, I know exactly what turns me on in both human and statue form, and that's hearing some footsteps on the stairs and knowing I've got to finish the wank before my mum walks in with some toast. So, let's get to it! Whoa! Oof! As many of you know, because I've got no sense of propriety or shame, I've recently gone into the hostipal because of a lightly defective anus. Normal people, like you, might be able to operate with a malfunctioning scum shoot. But when you're in a high-pressure position like me am, having an anus that's firing on all cylinders and ready to go at the drop of a hat is a stone-cold deal-breaker. So I drove to Harley Street, slapped my ass against the window of the most expensive-looking house I could find, and using one of the thousands of highly specific trumpets I carry around to communicate my desires, I let it be known that I was in need of urgent surgery. Do you find it difficult to get what you want because you can't bring yourself to ask for it? Well, why not communicate your desires with our range of thousands of trumpets? Just rummage around in our specially indexed suitcase, give a short toot on the appropriate trumpet, and watch as everyone around you suddenly understands what it is you've been hedging around for the last couple of weeks. But don't take our word for it, just listen to some of these conversations with the most important line of the conversation replaced with a bit of trumpet sound. What's the matter, Gordon? You've been so distant lately. Madeline, there's, there's something I've, I've got to tell you. Just say it, Gordon. The silence is driving me mad. A dog followed you home last week, and you've been keeping it in the wine cellar. And you've been feeding it crackers and wine. And you're not sure if it's getting all the nutrients it needs to live, but you're too proud to ask. Hmm, I see. Good Gordon. You're such a kind person. Well, that ended surprisingly well for a man that just blew a trumpet in the middle of a conversation, didn't it? And it'll work for you, too. And that's not all. All of our trumpets have special embouchure adapters for non-human use. What is it, Lassie? <coughs> I don't understand, Lassie. <coughs> Are you hungry? <coughs> you don't look hungry. <coughs> no, I'm not calling you fat, Lassie. But I can't help you if you can't communicate effectively. <coughs> 
Oh, a property developer is using high pressure tactics on disabled and elderly residents in a tenement block in order to make way for lucrative office space and retail outlets. Well, this sounds like a job for Godzilla. Let me summon him with this flute. What's that, Godzilla? Well, I'm sorry I interrupted your daredevil binge, Godzilla, but we've got a bunch of sponges and nearly deads getting in the way of small businesses. Let's throw those drains on society into a monster's mouth. Every one of the thousands of tiny trumpets in our specially indexed suitcase has been handcrafted to exacting standards by the last living giant. If you can't find the trumpet that says what you want to not say, why not try our range of millions of trombones in a gigantic satchel? Hello, I'm evil. I'm going to be very naughty now unless someone convinces me to not be naughty. What a coherent argument. I have mended my ways. Order today and we'll throw a satchel filled with millions of trombones into a secret compartment in your specially indexed suitcase full of thousands of trumpets and you'll never be lost for words again. Just don't put them back in the wrong order. What is it, Patterson? Can't you see I'm very, 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 very busy? Yes, sir. About that promotion, there's something I wanted to say. Well, spit it out, Patterson. I've got contracts to sign. That's the most repulsive thing I've ever heard. Godzilla, eat this disgusting pervert. Anyway, as you can imagine, the doctors of Harley Street couldn't believe their luck. I'm the proud owner of a high-performance anus, easily in the top one percentile in terms of maneuverability and overall clenchiness. My anus is so deft that it's actually managed to beat me a couple of times in a thumb war. And to this day, I can't be sure what my anus was using as a surrogate thumb, or whether I had simply got my own thumb stuck up there. I don't want to know. I find the mystery that surrounds my purring chaptwat too thrilling to demean it by poking a camera through my legs and posting the pictures to Grinder. so all the doctors wanted to jam their surgery daggers into my anus, just to have a story that they could tell to their mates. I did surgery on Log's anus and it was like gouging a chunk out of a collapsing star. That sort of thing. But I decided to go with Dr. Hugo San Moritz because he had kind fingers and no nonsense face. Within minutes, I was in a comfy bed as the anaesthetist pumped my handful of tingle milk and made racist jokes about the Welsh. And I'm not kidding there, he actually did do that. My last thought was to press the record button on my smartwatch. And this, dear readers, is the sound file I found when I awoke. Nurse, are these all the knives I've got? I'm sure I used to have more knives than this. There are some more in the top drawer over there. Hmm. No, I'll just make do with this one. Can you just test it out on that sausage, please? Yes, Doctor. Yeah, just about made it through. Okay. I'm about to stab out this lump of infected anus meat. It'll smell a lot because it's an anus and it's infected. And because he's a big lad, it'll be a constant battle against a dual tide of fat buttock trying to get into my working space. But if all goes according to plan, he'll be left with an open wound right on the side of his asshole that he'll probably spend the next few days wiping shit into. Yes, Doctor. Nurse? Yes, Doctor. Shall we just... Not bother. 
Hello, it's me again, Log. The log that's in the Monosode HQ, not the log from the feature. He really is the man of a thousand voices, isn't he? In the same way that trees are trees of a thousand leaves. I mean, they're all there, but you'd be hard-pressed to tell the fucking difference. <laughs> me. Anyway, it's time for the final feature. I've propped Steve's head up on a posh cushion and I've taken the precautionary measure of microwaving his middle section so that it's all warm and pliable. And now, I'm going to begin the four-hour process of trying to coax this rubber vessel into spitting out a feature onto my chest or face. doing his feature this week. He's... well, the less said about this, the better. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to get in touch with a necromancer about building a replacement simulacrum before Steve gets back from Russia. See you next week on episode 141, and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, give us money on patreon.com slash regularfeatures, buy video games from greenmangaming.com slash regularfeatures, then click on our faces, or just tell people about the podcast if you're not worried about it reflecting badly on you when they come back to you the next day and ask you what the fuck you do with your spare time. Bye! Features. I'm up on that, get features. I'm up on that, get features.